Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Holy Spirit, thank you for women and men. And we, we bless this day. And we say, Lord, this is the day that you made. We'll be glad in it. And may we be spirit led in it today. In Jesus name. Amen. I actually, so the last, well, first of all, let me say I've been in a country of Lafayette. Do you know where Lafayette is? It's a, Estonia, Lithuania, Lafayette. It's the former USSR country. And we had a great time there. Holy Spirit moved powerfully there. We saw people touched. Uh, we got to meet with several parliamentary people, met with parliament, uh, par- a parliamentary team there, did a business conference. We did a, a leadership conference, secular leadership conference, and gold was showing up on people's hands. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I was going to say fun was had by all, but fun was had by me. i tell you that for sure. And we just were with wonderful people, and God's moving so powerfully in that country. I think that was like my 10th time being there. But uh, I missed a couple Sundays here, so hopefully you miss me. Um, thank you. That felt so good. I felt overwhelmed by that response. <laughs> and um, I, for the last, uh, so for the last probably week and a half or so, I have been a feeling like I'm supposed to speak on fatherhood, which isn't a new subject for me at all. But uh, then as I, I got home, I realized that I came home to a Wonder Woman conference and I was like, well, it's going to feel really inappropriate with a room full of estrogen women <laughs> to speak on fathering. But uh, so I tried to change my message yesterday and, and it's like, nope, we're speaking on fathering. So uh, I, I wanted to just remind you ladies, I wrote Fashion to Rain. So I wrote this book. For those of you online, I wrote this book, Fashion to Rain. I, this is about empowering women to fulfill their divine destiny. I just brought this to, as evidence that I believe in empowering women. Okay, so that's, that's that there. And then Kathy wrote a book called The Good, The God, and The Ugly. And this is a great book. I empowered her to write this book. I edited this book. I was the first editor and she, was, she wrote, this is actually a story about our family. And so she wrote our stories in there and then you know, what she learned from them and what you could learn from them. And I was editing the stories and I'm like, that's not how that story happened. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's how it's happened. I'm like, no, no, no. I said, hey, I, she's like, no, that's how it happened. I'm like, I have it in a different, I have it differently in another book. She's like, you need to get that book back and edit it. <laughs> so this is our story according to Kathy. And uh, this is the uprising, the epic battle for the most fatherless generation in history. This is the rest of the message that you're going to hear today. Um, so I want to talk about fatherhood. And uh, I actually want to, I want to see a revolution. You know, when I see the shooting in Nashville, uh, just another one this last week, our friends uh, is the governor of Nashville, of, of Tennessee, Bill Lee, and uh, you know, I, I, my first response isn't what weapon was used, but what, why do these killings continue? And what do we have to do to incite a revolution that brings peace to our country? And so I, I really, I feel like I've come here today to declare war on fatherlessness and the deconstruction of the family and the cesspool of immorality that's plaguing our our times. I, I don't feel like this is so much the teaching as it is. Like uh, I think it's a, it's actually a clarion call for 
especially men today and women too, but men to rise up and take their places. And I love what I was, I've been listening to T.G. Jake a lot. I feel T.G. Jake is so anointed for this generation. If you haven't listened to him, I mean, I have always loved T.G. Jake, so let me just say that. But there's, I feel drawn to his teachings lately, and I find myself listening more and more. But T.G. Jakes made this statement the other day. He, uh, he may have made it five years ago, but I, I watched it the other day. I don't know how old, you know, some of these videos, I don't know how old they are. But he said, he said uh, Goliath was not David's enemy. He was his invitation into his destiny. And I thought, this is, what a powerful statement. He said, without Goliath, David would never have become king. And sometimes what we think is resisting us is our door to destiny. So I want to equip an, an army of righteous men to take their places on the earth as sons and daughters to eradicate the orphan spirit and usher in the era of family. And we're about to enter, let me, let me say this, I, I believe this with all my heart, I believe that we are entering a metamorphosis, the, maybe the greatest metamorphosis of our time, when the ugly of fatherless generation is becoming the beauty of a new age of family values and legacy living. And I understand that you have to have a little bit prophetic vision to look at culture right now and think we're winning. I, I don't know that we're winning, but I will say this, we're going to win. And when I say we're going to win, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about your political party or my political party uh, or our church. I'm saying that there is, a, there is a revolution that we are in the midst of. And we've been preaching about it. I've heard Bill preach about it many times in the last couple of years, especially. There is a rising sense that there is a war over who gets to shape culture. And God is raising up cultural architects. And today, I'm specifically talking to men. I want to inspire men. I pray that it inspires women too, but I want to inspire men. And I, I want to just talk about uh, a little bit about, in, uh, about how, what is the role of man. I want to first point out that men and women, contrary to popular opinion, they are not the same. Men and women are not the same. They are equally powerful, but they are distinctly different. Men and women are not interchangeable. <laughs> There's a whole generation, there's a whole culture that wants us to be, wants men and women to be interchangeable. In order for men and women to be interchangeable, you have to masculinize women, you have to feminize men, because the LGBTQ, and adding some more letters, activists want, want us to believe that you can have two mommies or two daddies, and that's a normal family. And I want to point out that that is not... With the, that is not what the manufacturer designed you for. That is not what the creator said. That is not the truth. Listen, I'm not mad at anybody. Let me be clear. I'm just telling you that that's not the truth. And that, it, that this whole generation is under this, can I call it a curse? Under this curse of a lack of fathering, mothering too, but fathering today. I want to talk about fathering. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God said, the Lord God put the man... I'm sorry, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Interesting, the word keep it is the Hebrew word, it's shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R, but it means, it means to preserve, to guard, to give attention to, to protect, to secure, to spy out a doorkeeper, a defender, and it means to beware. How many understand when God put the man in the garden, it wasn't just to like, hoe the weeds. But God put the man in the garden. He intentionally put the man in the garden to protect the garden. Like nothing gets past the man. He was anointed to protect the garden. Now, I want to tell you, my wife shoots guns. She, she hunts. 
She killed the bear with the bow last year. She's a bad woman. I love my wife, but if someone breaks into our house, I don't wake her up. Then go, go down there and check it out. I'll call the police. I mean, I joke like that all the time. But how many, how many know that it's my job, my first job is to protect our family. And there's a, there's a, there's a growing... I think understanding of what does it mean to protect a family? Are we just protecting our family from robbers and, and murderers or is there another dimension to it? So I, there's a story that uh, I've told many times. It's called the elephant story. It's about Kruger Park in South Africa. So you probably have heard the story. I'd like to just share it again. In Kruger Park, uh, Kruger Park in South Africa, they began to breed the South African elephant because they were going extinct. And they did such a great job breeding the South African elephant that the elephant began to take over Kruger Park. By the way, I've been to Kruger Park. I was there with Danny Silk. And uh, we were in a van and there's elephants and lions. And when we got to the lions, I opened up the side door of the van. And it says in big letters, do not open the door. And Danny was screaming. And I'm like, we have Daniel from the lion's den. What are you worried about? You know, I figured if the lions you know, came after us, so I'd just throw them out the door and say, you know, do what you did and... Anyway, that wasn't funny, but that's how it went. <laughs> and they did such a great job of breeding those elephants that the elephants began to take the park over. So they said, what are we going to do with all these elephants? You can't UPS them, FedEx is too expensive. And so they're like, well, maybe we can, maybe we can fly them with helicopters. You know, these, you know these great big helicopters, they lift logs? That's what they used. And they built these harnesses and they took these elephants and they flew them to a park that was pretty close by another park in South Africa. And everything went really well, except for when they tried to lift the male adult elephants, it broke the harnesses because they were so heavy. And they were like, that's okay. We have the, we have the, adult, we have, uh, the male elephants, the young male elephants, and they'll grow to be adults. It's all fine. But what happened next was shocking and surprising. What happened next is that the white hippopotamus, which is also becoming extinct in South Africa. Huh? Rhino, I mean. It's all the same. White rhino. <laughs> Cat, dog, what's the difference? The white rhino. Did I say rhino? Yes, the white rhino. I'm doing this by memory. I didn't leave the notes up there. White rhino, began, who's also extinct, began to die. And at first they didn't know why, so they put cameras out around the whole park, and they saw that these young male elephants that they had transported from Kruger Park, they were killing the, the, the rhinoceroses. And these animals have lived together in, in, uh, in the wild without being, they're not natural enemies. So they're like, why are these, why are, why are these uh, elephants killing these rhinoceroses? Did I say it right? Yes, rhinoceroses. And by the way, they were killing other things too, that were, they were not natural predators. And so after a long time, they said, I think around two or three months, they studied this, trying to figure out what was wrong. And they said, well, listen, the only thing that's different between the habitat at Kruger Park and the habitat here is the large male adult elephants didn't get transferred. So they made stronger harnesses and they transferred some of the large male adult elephants over into that other park and what happened, and they said immediately, within three months, all the killing stopped. And the scientists, and I'll just give you one line of the report, the scientists said this, that the young male elephants 
in musks, like when they breed, were learning how to be elephants by watching the old adult male elephants be elephants. And uh, so the question that's instilled by that story is what happens when you take fathers out of home. Now, first of all, you're, you may be saying, well, why are you asking that question? Because 51% of all American children, American children, are now born out of wedlock. And by the way, just to show you the digression of society, in 1950, that number was 2.7%. From 2.7% to 51%, and what's that, 70 years, 73 years? This is the digression of, of culture. We are in a pandemic of fatherlessness. Uh, last year, at, at, on Father's Day, uh, Fox News released an article that was pretty well written and pretty well researched. And they said that America is the most fatherless country in the world at this time. America is the most fatherless country in the world. We are, we are in a country of orphans. What happens when you take a father from a house? Because remember, again, I want to remind you that our culture is saying that men and women are interchangeable. But what actually happens when you take fathers from a house? Well, what happens, let me just say this, that 98% of all violent crimes in America are committed by men. 75% of all prisoners, men in prison, grew up in a fatherless home. What happens when you take fathering out of a home is that men get violent. Men get violent. And people are beginning to say, well, you know, masculinity is toxic. Mas masculinity is not toxic. What's toxic is what happens when you grow up without a dad and you don't know how to manage your manhood. <laughs> are you with me? You don't know how to manage your manhood. And so what, what, what's going on in our country and what do we do about it? It's, in, in my mind, if you, if you looked at the statistics, and by the way, if you're interested, they actually are in the Uprising book. And by the way, you can't find statistics for fatherlessness after 2017. When we wrote the book, we sent it to a publisher, and the publisher's like, hey, these statistics are from 2017 all the way back to 2011. We'd like you to have the most current statistics. So my team went back to look for the most current statistics on fatherlessness, on, and, on, on the results of fatherlessness, the side effects of fatherlessness, and you can't find the statistics. Do you know why? Because we want to, because our government is now tasked with making father, uh, life without fathering, life, families without fathers are now normal. So we don't want to keep statistics on the side effects of fathering, on fatherlessness, because we don't want anybody to actually know what's going on in our country. And I'm saying that we are being frog-boiled in immorality and in violence. And people want to say, well, this thing that killed them, this thing that killed them, like, why are people killing each other? <laughs> and I'm saying, what happens when, when, especially men, when they grow up without a father, is that they grow more violent? The answer isn't just get rid of weapons. Whatever you think about that, I'm making no statement. I'm pointing out that when you want to kill your neighbors, your friends, nine-year-old kids, something's wrong. Something's seriously wrong. And listen, I believe very much in government. I, I work with, with government people I have for the last 15 years. But changing the laws is not going to change the heart of people. 
And I believe that changing the heart of a nation, changing the heart of nations is the job of the church. Like the job of the church is a revolution that actually transforms people and causes the love of God to be released in people. So I believe that this is our job. I believe that God wants to start a revolution. I believe that we're actually in the midst of a revolution. Good point, Chris. <laughs> Fathers are commissioned to be courageous. They don't have the luxury of retreating in the face of danger. Fathers are called to run towards the sound of trouble, engage in, 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 engage in hostility that's perpetuated against their families. They're the first to danger. They send a loud message to all hostiles that there will be resistance to hurting this family. There will be a noble defender ready to protect this lineage. This is part of what we do, guys, is that we rise up and we protect our families. We rise up and say, listen, if you're going to get to my family, it's going to be over this dead body. I am the first to trouble. I do not have the luxury of retreating when my family's in trouble. I may be scared, but I better step up and take on my fear and that problem. <laughs> with me. But I want to point out something, man, and I, I, I say this to challenge you. You know, when you challenge a guy... Listen, when you challenge a guy, he should be like, anything you say you can't do, guy's like, I'm going to do that. I'm 68 years old. I play basketball. I suck. I, I've said it many times. I will not defend my, my ability. But I, and I play with 20 and 30-year-olds, lots of 20 and 30-year-olds, and they'll be like, you know, sometimes the teams are like, they'll be all 20-year-olds or all 25-year-olds, and they're like, they'll be like, that guy can't guard him. And I'm like, oh, they just told me I can't. Now I'm going to. Now, let me tell you, it doesn't mean I, I, I'm better than him. It just means I foul more often. <laughs> and I do have a reputation for doing that. I just like, it's like your job, guard basket. Okay. He's faster, he's quicker, but he's on the ground. So he's not so fast down there. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that I'm sharing some negative stuff with you guys so that you will rise. So that you will climb that mountain, defend that castle, and rise up in our country. Like, we need men to be men. Spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, Amber alerts are going off in many of our homes because one of our children have been abducted by the devil, but sometimes we're not in tune enough to even know they're missing. So I'm like, you know, we're the first one to the door. I got, I got, I got my carried concealed weapon permit. I'm like, I'm going to protect my family. But your family's going to hell because of the stuff coming in, seeping into the screens of your home. Are you with me? And we're all tough. And I'm like, we don't even know it. But we're keeping out predators and hostiles, but hostiles are slipping in through our computer screens, our TV screens, and the friends, your kids, are being allowed to... Are you with me? And I'm saying, guys, we have to be... Listen, you don't have to be a spiritual giant, but it's... it's, it's you have to be spiritual. <laughs> you... Do you know, am, am I, I, I hope I'm not shaming you, but if that works, I'll do that too. I don't care. Like, I'll foul you as long as you just protect the basket. You understand where I'm going. 
I was in Latin America and doing a conference with a guy there. He was incredible, powerful. He, he made these statements. He said, men go to the gym every day to work out their bodies, but they don't take 10 minutes to pray. They have a $100,000 body and a 20 cent spirit. He said, some men all know all the stats of their sports teams, their names and their history, but they don't know five characters in the Bible. Some men spend more time with their fantasy sports team than they do with their reality God. And then he said this, which I thought was profound. He said, we don't have moral authority to rebuke what we practice at home. And I'd like to add, we can't give financially to ministries to end sex trafficking at church and be addicted to porn at home. Like it is raining in our generation, men. We must step up. We're not just tough guys with concealed weapons permit. We're actually, we're actually fathers on the wall of our homes. And we're like, don't screw with my family. And I'm not just talking to humans. I'm talking to the devil and his demons. Like people don't, you don't mess with my family. And I, and I ask God for the gift of discernment. And sometimes I spend the whole night praying through as my teenager goes to a place that I, I, I rather they didn't go, but they're 17 and 18. And I stay on that wall at night. And I've done that many nights. And I pray God for a wall of angels to be around my teenagers. They enter that class as they enter that thing. And you guys know what I'm talking talking about. I'm saying I am not a wimp. I am not afraid of darkness. I eat darkness for breakfast. This is what I was created for. I rise in dark times. We are feminizing our men. And listen, if you're a woman, you should be feminized. That's the role you play. But if you're a man, you need to be masculized. Did I say that the right way? I don't know. Close enough. Better than two weeks ago when I was trying to date Twitter pity or however you say that. We can't conquer what we refuse to confront. Listen, I believe that this is a Jonah generation, but they're about to be swallowed by a whale and spit up on the doors of their destiny. I believe what Malachi said, in the last days I'm going to send Elijah the prophet. He's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters and hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. And I believe that we are in the midst of a, of a, of a mandate, a Malachi mandate, in, when, uh, in which Jonah is running from his destiny, but the whale of God's going to swallow him up and spit him home. And I think we have to be ready to teach a man how to be a man. Our own personal victories become our family's corporate covering. Every foe we defeat in our own life is one less foe that they will face in theirs. Our own deep sense of spiritual inadequacy will not will not be def, not de, de, start over. Our own deep sense of spiritual inadequacy will not be defeated in retreat. It'll only be dethroned as we press into God and learn how to destroy the works of the devil. Men. You may feel inadequate. I have to tell you that there's not a man in here that's been in a battle that the first time or second time you've been in that battle, you didn't feel inadequate. But when we're weak, he's strong. I am not going to learn how to defeat my inadequacy by retreating. (laughs) My kids need something I don't feel equipped to give them. Fine, find some help. Join Braveco. Kill the men's stuff. Find a father. You get the idea. I, I, I'm not saying 
I'm not saying you're adequate. I'm saying that your inadequacy is not going to be defeated by retreating. Good point, Chris. Listen to this. Whenever our children catch us having a private conversation with God in prayer, they capture a glimpse into the power of the age to come that's being infused into this family trust. If we hide our battles from our children, they won't be prepared to win theirs when they leave our home. On the other hand, inviting our kids to view our struggles in life gives them a front row seat in the Academy of Future Victories. Like we can't, our children can't grow up thinking, well, mom and dad never, they, they never got in an argument. Mom and dad never, not, you know, they never, like they never had a problem. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, I am training you on the battlefield. I don't hide you in the zoo. Well, mom and I do jungle. You come with us. You do ministry with us. You do deliverances with us. When our kids were growing up, they saw so many deliverances. They knew there was a devil. They prayed there was a God. That's a true story. I've seen pe people heads turn around backwards, not spin around, but turn around backwards. I've seen them. This is in my house. This is just in my house. Crawling on the floor like snakes, and, you know, barking like dogs without their mouth moving. My kids grew up with that. Like, they, could, they couldn't go to a university and have a professor teach them out of there is no God because they know there's a devil. There must be a God. <laughs> I've had two demonized people chase my kids upstairs. Well, we drug them down the stairs. It was all good. <laughs> kind of, you know what I'm trying to say. We, teaching our kids about sexuality in the culture is, in my mind, spiritual warfare. Teaching our kids about sexuality in a culture of immorality is teaching them spiritual warfare. Like, do you understand that most of what our kids are being frog-boiled in is all about sex? And we rant and rave against the perversion, but, teach them, but don't teach them the right version? Even some of you, when you hear about sexuality in church, you're like, why are they talking about sex in church? I don't know, it's from Genesis to Revelation. My question is, why don't we? And my point is this. When God said, be fruitful and multiply, how many know he gave you a sex drive? Nobody raised their hand. I'm like... <laughs> See, this is the problem right here. You're, like, you're a Christian. You're like, I don't have one. I laid an egg and my husband sat on it for nine months. We don't talk about it, but we're mad about perversion, but we don't talk about the right version. And the only people teaching our kids about sex are people who are perverted. You know, there's a principle called the principle of first mention, and it says this. When we hear about a subject for the first time, it becomes the foundation by which we determine what we believe. What we believe. Are you with me? Everything else we are told about that subject is now weighed against the foundational core value that we were taught first. 
In other words, if someone tells our kids about sex before we do, our kids will have to change their belief system to embrace our values. So we do moral revolution conferences. We've been doing them for 25 years all around the world. I've been in 15 nations doing moral revolution conferences. This is the most, one of the most common questions people ask before they come. Should I send my 12-year-old? Should I send my 12-year-old? Is that a relevant question today? No, I'm not shaming anybody. I'm just saying, is that a relevant question today? They're teaching your five-year-old in California that they could be a homosexual, they can be bisexual, they can be transsexual, they might be a boy or a girl. Like, is this real question? What happens if you expose your kids to sex too young? If you tell them too soon? Oh my gosh, I don't know. But I know what happens if you tell them too late. And in this culture, you, you, we, are, we are not the ones setting the pace in this culture. Like your eight-year-old probably, unless you've like locked them in their bedroom and taken away all their video stuff and everything that can get in from the outside, they probably know at least perversion maybe more than you do. So the question is, what are you doing to lay a foundation? I'm talking to both men and women, but I'm especially talking to men. Like, what are you doing to lay a foundation so that your children are arrows in the hands of warriors? Like, you're equipping your sons and daughters so well in all areas, but we're talking about sexuality right now, spiritual warfare. How many know, read 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says that sex is actually spiritual warfare. I'm teaching my kids spiritual warfare, and when they go... To, and they get in eighth grade and their biology teacher says, you can be this and you can be that and you can be that. And they go, uh, excuse me, sir, that's not true. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's only XY and XX. XY is women, XX is whatever it is, men. I forget which one, I didn't use the notes. It's okay, I'm not a biology teacher, but I know enough to know there's only two sexes. And I, my, my son and daughter doesn't have to stand up and say, well, the Bible says. They can say, you know, biology says. And my point is, is that biology is behind them. God's behind them. Angels are with them. Why aren't we winning? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I teach my kids the truth. And when they see the false, they know it. I remember Bill teaching us years ago when it, about, around spirituality. He said, I don't have to study the cults because if I study the real thing, I know the wrong thing. And he talked about studying a, 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 like a $20 bill, like studying our currency so that you know when you have fake currency in your hand. How many know if our kids are trained and equipped in all areas, right now I'm specifically talking about sexuality because we are being frog-boiled in an immoral culture and our kids are ill-prepared for it. And that's not on the school system, guys. It's on us. So what does it mean to have a sex drive? Well, I think it means you want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> okay, here we go. See, this is where it gets really quiet. I'm going to give you all homework. Go home and read Song of Solomon. You'll be ready for part two of this message. It means... I, I, I actually have asked this question in 15 countries. What does it mean to have a sex drive? Everybody sits there. I don't know. I say, I think it means... You want to have sex with somebody? Well, I don't think it means that. What does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> How many know the goal of your 15-year-old isn't to get rid of his sex drive? The goal is to learn to manage his appetite. And how many understand that we are teaching them 
how to manage their appetite at two, three, and four. Long before they have a sex drive, they have other appetites, right? I don't know how many times I've seen this play out, but you know, you're, you're in a store and there's a two-year-old or three-year-old screaming for an ice cream. And mom's got three kids and she's trying to shop and the kid is making a huge scene and, and she can't get out of there because her grocery cart's full and she's a prisoner to this two-year-old who wants an ice cream and who's making the big scene. And I'm sure she's thinking, oh, everybody thinks I'm a terrible mom, da, da, da. All that's gotta be going on. I've never experienced that because my wife has. And I, you know, how many have seen a scene like that? Of course, we've, most of us have seen scenes like that. And I feel sorry for mom because I'm like, yeah, I know, you know, I, I know how that had to feel. I mean, I obviously don't, but Kathy told me how it feels. <laughs> and then mom does the unthinkable. She gives him an ice cream. The unthinkable. She gives him, I, I understand why there's no shame if you're in here and that was you that I saw in the store the other day. It's all good. But my point is, is that Johnny just learned something that isn't true. And that is, if you want it before you should have it, if you scream loud enough, God will give it to you. He won't. He's a good daddy. He goes, scream all you want. You're not going to make my reputation bad. I'm heavenly father. My point is that God has given us the ability to train and equip our children in delaying their gratification to appropriate times long before they have a sex drive. That's my point. So when they, have, when they come into puberty and they have a sex drive, they've already learned, I don't get it when I want it. I don't get it when it's, there is an appropriate time for everything. And they are already in the mindset because for 14 years, they've been delaying gratification because mom and dad taught them, you don't always get what you want when you want it. Some things are worth sacrificing for. Are you with me? So kids ask this question like, why do I have a sex drive years before I'm supposed to have sex? Because God wants to torment you. On to the next point. <laughs> because the value of your virginity is in the blood, sweat, and tears it takes to get your virginity from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So on the night you lay with your lover, you have something to give him you had to fight to keep. Because anyone can give away something expensive, but only people who understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. How many understand the greater your sex drive, the greater the trophy? King David was under a plague and God said, listen, you want to stop the plague? You go to this guy's farm, you buy his land, you build an altar, you offer a sacrifice and the plague will stop. He gets to the guy's house. He says, I need to buy your property. The guy's very wealthy. He goes, you don't have to buy the property. I will give it to you. And David makes this profound statement, far be it from me that I should offer to God something that costs me nothing. Listen, we, this instant gratification generation has really lost something. Like They think they've gained something, but they've actually lost the power of sacrifice and the value of what happens when you delay something to a point that you kept it, you fought for it, you battled through it, and you gave it at the end of your, of your, of your time. When it was right, you gave it to the woman of your dreams, the man of your dreams. And you said, I brought this through the battlefield, this bloody battlefield. I fought 
to be the man of your dreams. I want to be a one woman man. She wants to be a one man woman. And we come together in celebration that it was hard. It was tough. There were long nights. There were lots of temptations, but we got it all the way there. That's why you have a sex drive long before you're supposed to have sex. Now, let me tell you, there's lots of people in here that failed. We failed. Kathy and I failed early. Listen, thank God that you can be forgiven and restored. Repent, return to the pinnacle. The restoration comes from repentance. That means to begin, to begin with, that means I have to say I was wrong. I thought about it a different way than God did. I thought about my, my virginity, my sexuality, different than God did. God, I was wrong about that. I asked God to forgive me. And we call it being a, a born again virgin. That I get to fight for it again because God restored me to the pinnacle, to the high place. So if you're in here, you're watching online, and you're like, I screwed that up. My life is over. No, it's not. God can renew your life and make it new like it's new every day. This isn't a game where I, I say, oh, yes, God renewed me, then I go do it again, then I renew me and redo it again. How many of God? God is not full. He's looking for a repentant heart from you and me. He's looking for fruit of repentance. He's looking for you, for you, to, for you to fight for your purity again. Are you with me? That's a good word. You know, uh, Jewish weddings lasted a week. And they, so I was like, yeah, she's like, yeah, I like that. They drank a lot of wine. <laughs> it lasted a week and they, uh, they began with the way that most uh, weddings happen in, uh, in uh, America. There's be a bride and groom, the, the families would come, the bride's groom would, the groom's uh, family would sit on one side, the bride's family would sit on another, very traditional American. And, uh, and then they would have, uh, somebody would be, um, standing before them to give them the vows and they would be exchanging the vows. And as they're exchanging the vows, the men of both families would come and put their weapons in front of them as they're exchanging vows. And then when they get done exchanging vows, everybody would stay seated. And the bride and groom would go into the bridal chamber. You read about the bridal chamber several times in the Bible. They go into the bridal chamber where they would consummate the marriage while everyone sat outside. Now, I understand, totally weird, right? But let me tell you, this was in the agricultural age. Think about agricultural age. In the agricultural age, like what was that, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, we bred animals. You, you, you couldn't probably live without seeing mating and, 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 and sexuality among animals. It was like just part of life. You're, you, you bred horses, you bred cattle, you bred sheep. And this was just a part of everyday living. It wasn't like shamed. We put it over there in the barn and we can see it. It's all part of life. So when the bride and groom would go into the bridal chamber, they would consummate the marriage and then there would be a bloody sheet, hopefully, because there's a woman has a hymen and most of the time it breaks the first time she has intercourse because why did God give a woman hymen? Because he wants children to come out of covenant. So he gave them the blood. He gave them the blood so they could consummate, so that before, they can consummate the marriage before they conceive the children. Children were never supposed to be born out of, out of a, a hookup culture, out of a live-in culture, out of a cohabiting culture. They were supposed to be the fruit of a covenant. Are you with me? Well, as soon as the bloody sheet was thrown over the wall, then the, the dancing started, the music, the, the drinking, the celebration. You can imagine little Johnny, he's three. 
because this is not an over 18 event. He hears the noise in the tent. He sees the bloody sheet. He thinks, got in a fight already. <laughs> and what it does is it, can you see it? Can you feel it though? Can you feel it? It creates age appropriate conversations with your children so that from the time, by the time that Johnny gets 18, he's been to 10 weddings. He's had many conversations with his parents. They don't have a talk. They have a sexually healthy culture. It's not a shame culture driven by Playboy magazine and the porn people. It's a healthy sexual culture driven by moms and dads in the safety of family. And why do they bring their weapons to the front? Because the covenant was never between the husband and wife. It was between the two tribes. And those weapons depicted that we are here to defend the covenant. And when you got married, you inspired another tribe to come and protect you. That's why kings of old would marry the daughters of another king. Because the covenant was never between just the king and his new wife. It was between two kingdoms. And when he married the daughter of another king, he inspired the protection of their other king. Are you with me? I'm saying that husbands and wives have a covenant, but the community is protecting the covenant. The community is around going, we got you in prayer. We're taking care of you in prayer. These are the things that, these are the things you're going to encounter in the first year. We've already prayed through them. We've been there. We stand as a wall while you work this all out. Are you following me? And I'm pointing out too that your kids, the frontal lobe of their brain is not even fully developed until they're in their 20s. So the highest sex drive you will ever have is in your 16, 17, 18 years old. And your brain's not there. <laughs> you are missing a part of your brain. And it's the part, it's the frontal lobe, which is your, your cause and effect. So when you're 15-year-old hits his sister, and you go, why'd you do that? And he goes, I don't know. He actually doesn't know. His brain is missing. An imp a very important part of his brain is missing. He goes, why did you jump off the roof? I don't know. Didn't you know you were going to fall? No. Think about how important this is, guys. He is 17. His lobe is gone. He's only partly home. And he has a huge sex drive. What does he need? He needs dad. He needs mom. More than anything right now, he needs guidance. Because he can't think, I'm going to sleep with this girl and she could get pregnant. Those two things are facts. He can, listen, truly, he can, he can understand that's a fact. He's not stupid. He can understand that's a fact. But he can't put them together. <laughs> Go do your own study. He can't put, this will happen if I do this. This will happen if I jump. He understands gravity makes you go down, but he can't put... I'm going to hit the ground and something bad's going to happen when I get there. And he has a huge sex drive. And you let him go with no restraint. Like Kathy and I, we were, she was 12 when I met her. She was 13 when we got engaged. What does that tell you? Oh, what a beautiful love story. What a dysfunctional family. 
I had a car at 16. We were left alone. For five years we did. We were only Christians for one year. We had nobody guiding us. What a crazy way to grow children. Are you with me? And I thank God that he worked it all out for good. But this is not the way to raise children. When I see our 14-year-old, I'm like, he doesn't even know how to go potty by himself, much less like be left alone with a woman. Like, no. No. And I'm saying, you're laughing, but they're in your home. And you're not even talking to him about it. You're like, oh, he'll work it out. I worked it out. He didn't work it out. He's not going to work it out in the environment you worked it out in because his environment is 10 times more sexualized than the environment you and I grew up in. And I was looking at Playboy magazines when I was 14. And I'm saying what he has access to is 100 times worse than that. And he's got people telling him it's okay, like his teacher. And the church down the street is telling him it's all normal. I'm like, who's going to rise up and start a revolution? It's not going to be the guy down the street. And we're like, well, I'm going to vote for this guy and he's going to fix it for me because he believes. I'm like, really? He's going to fix your kids. That's going to fix it. You're going to change presidents and it's all going to be over. I'm going to give you a little clue. I have an idea who I'd like to be president. Maybe you have it too. But that is not going to be solved by who's president. This is not going to be solved by who's governor. Well, the governor's ruining my kids. No, you are not equipping them. This is an indictment against us as fathers, and I include myself. Like, we need to rise up and equip our children. They are arrows in the hands of warriors. When my kids go to school, I feel sorry for the school, not for my children. You don't want Johnny in my class when you start telling lies. <laughs> Metaphorically, Johnny's been to many Jewish weddings. He understands how this all works. <laughs> and I'm pointing out that that's where we're going. We are not there. But that's where we're going. This is where we're going. And listen, we can get there if we'll just freaking show up. We don't have to know it all. Listen, you don't know about sexuality, how to teach your kids. Go to moralrevolution.com. There is hundreds of teachings on there. Hundreds. This is what to do when your kid's this age. This is what to do when your kid's this age. This is what, listen, there is no reason for you not to be fully equipped now. There's all the materials you need to have the talk with the kid. There are videos you can sit down and not even do the talk. Like, let's watch this video together. And that's not weird if you're not good at it. We, have, we watch the video together and we go got questions? How do you feel about that? You ever have those feelings? You, how, how are you doing with this, this masturbation thing? How's that going? Let's have a conversation about that. And I'm like, we open the conversation. We have sit down and we talk through it so that he's not on the porn site learning what to do with his sex drive because that's what's happening right now if you're not talking to your kids. They are doing something. When you have a symptom, right? You ever Google it? You got a pain in my head and it's got my eyes swollen shut. I Google it. What do you think your kids are doing about their need for sex? What do you think they're doing? And who do you think's answering those questions? Like we have to be first to the battle. We got to get past shame. And, I, and, you know, and it's this thing too. It's like, well, when I was a kid, you know, I did it wrong and I don't have any confidence. Well, God forgave you. 
and you got restored to the pinnacle. So you don't ever have to be down here. It's your worst day and saying, I can't bring them up here because I did it too. You got forgiven. It all got wiped clean. Let's start over. Let's do it right. Let's cause a revolution. Would you stand? You might be in here today and you don't know the Lord. Or maybe you've walked away from the Lord. I actually had several words today. I'm just going to give out names. So if this is you, just, uh, just raise your hand. I, I have a Herb. I think your real name's Herbert. This morning I prayed. Uh, I, I got this this morning. I have a Margaret. I don't have time to give you all these words, but I'm just going to give them. Peggy, there's a Peggy and there's a George. If your name is any of those names... Especially if you don't know the Lord, the Lord's like talking to me about you before you got here. Would you just raise your hand if that's any of those names are yours? Maybe you know the Lord, but those names are yours. Okay, we got a lot of people online too. Yes, good. Okay, well, we just, Lord, I just pray for a release in these people's lives in Jesus' name. If you don't know the Lord, would you raise your hand? Like you want to rededicate your life? I have a word for you, a prophetic word for you, if that's you and you'd like to meet the Lord this morning. Okay, good. Let's all pray. Put your hand on your heart. Say, Lord, I dedicate myself to a revolution. I pray for the kingdom to come in my home, in my heart, in the heart of my family, heart of my children. God, I pray that you give me help, that you teach me, that you train me, you equip me. You take away these fears I have. Give me the courage to step past this line and start a revolution in my own home. Lord, I want my children to be full of the Spirit, to be ready for every battle, and to win every time. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.